This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning. We are um, in this great series at the moment, uh, which we call The Ripple Effect, and it's actually kind of part of the big theme of the whole year, uh, which is about being living out of the overflow uh, of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and so we're kind of thinking about what does it look like for that overflow to flow out like ripples in a pond. And Travis has got a lot of alliteration for us in this series. Uh, this morning, as you can see, is about purposeful proximity, which is just an alliterative way of saying being somewhere on purpose. So we're going to think about that. But I thought I'd start with a story, because, you know, stories are helpful. A little practical case study, maybe. Uh, I, want to, I want to tell you a story about a young guy who I'm, I used to know many, many years ago now from a previous church. So we're going to call him Matt. Matt had a, a deep, brand new, excited love for Jesus. He'd just become a Christian uh, in, in the kind of year or two before I met him, towards the end of his high school life, and now he's a young adult, and he had a whole bunch of mates uh, that he knew through high school, that he continued to be friends with us after high school, and these mates loved to party. They partied hard. Uh, they'd go out, uh, they'd drink a lot of alcohol, they'd smoke other substances, they'd do things they shouldn't do. Uh, and Matt came to me as his young adults pastor at the time, and he said, these mates, are, these are bad people. They're doing the wrong thing. I don't think I should go to these parties anymore and, and be with these people anymore because they're, they're not Christians. And I've become a Christian. I used to be like that. And Jesus has changed me. And I've started this new life. And, and I, I don't think I should be in that environment anymore. I'm going to leave that all behind. And so he did that for a few weeks. And then he came to me again, and he said, Johnny, I just have this sense that this is wrong, that actually Jesus loves my mates even more than I love them, and so I should be having a connection with them and in a relationship with them and spending time with them for the sake of Jesus. Maybe Jesus has called me to be a kind of missionary to these partygoers, he, he, but he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure if that was the right thing to do or if cutting them off and stopping going to these parties was the right thing to do. So he came to me, his young adults pastor, and asked me what I thought he should do. Well, we're going to read a little story from the book of Matthew that might help us to answer Matt's question. This is in Matthew 9. We're reading verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what do you reckon? What should Matt do? Should he go to church or should he go to the parties? What's the place that he should be? I mean, I told him. I said, I think if you're feeling called to your mates, then you should go to these parties. That's what Jesus would do. Jesus went to parties like this. So should you. No, there's more to the story. You see, a few months later, Matt came to me one Sunday night after church, and he was really upset. And he said, I need to talk to you. And we went off away from everyone else, and he said, look, I feel really bad. I went to this party last night, and I got drunk, like really drunk. I don't even remember exactly what happened for half the party. And I know I shouldn't have. And I know I'm supposed to be at these parties to, like, share Jesus with these guys. And instead, I'm just doing what I used to do. I'm being influenced by what's going on around me. There's all this pressure to fit in. And in the moment, I sort of forget that I'm supposed to stand out, that I'm supposed to be different. You know, he has a few drinks, he's having fun, he has a few more, he's having more fun, he has a few more, and it's gone off the rails. So we prayed about it and we talked about it, and the saddest part of the story is that this kept happening, and the more it happened, the less Matt came to church, and he drifted further and further and further into the party scene and further and further and further out of the church scene. I don't know exactly what happened. I never got to kind of debrief with him as he drifted away. He, I lost connection with him. I imagine that he kind of just got sick of feeling guilty for stuffing up every Saturday night and coming to church every Sunday. And coming to church got harder and harder as he kept feeling guilty about it. And he felt like he was making less and less of a positive impact at these parties and just joining in and giving in and having fun. And it was fun, right? So he focused on the fun instead of the guilt, which makes sense. And he allowed himself to just drift away. Did you see that coming? It's complicated isn't it? And I could get up here, and I've heard this sermon before, I could get up here and say, you're all here in church and you should be out there in the world telling everyone about Jesus, spend less time in church, spend more time out in the world, that's what Jesus wants you to do. Have a look at this story of, you know, it's not the healthy, you need the doctor, but the sick, go out there. But in reality, it is more complicated than that. So I've reflected on this, I've tried to learn from this as a pastor, maybe I got it wrong, maybe I gave him the wrong advice, maybe I said the wrong things, maybe I should have told him he was doing the right thing by stopping going to these parties. Maybe that was the right call, that he should have spent more time at church and and less time in this environment that was a bad influence on him. Leave your non-Christian friends behind, just focus on your Christian friends, build up your faith in Jesus. Maybe that was the advice I should have given him. 
Or maybe it was the right advice and I was just, I don't know, unlucky? I don't know. What would you say if this Matt character came to you and asked you what he should do? You're not sure. I can see it on your faces. (laughs) So here's what I think, because I have done some reflecting on this and thinking about this. I think that what we need is not just proximity, but purposeful proximity. And kind of embedded for me in that word purposeful is, is a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of complicated stuff, potentially. I think that as a naive, young Christian myself, giving him this advice, I assume that, you know, he's a Christian and he's going into this place where he's got these connections and relationships and that's the place he should be. But I didn't give him enough equipping and I didn't give him enough support and I should have been able to see that it wasn't working when he kept coming to me saying, I stuffed up again. But also I think the church was kind of at fault because the church community, not just the pastor, but all the people in that church ought to have been a place where he was encouraged and equipped, that we are called to encourage and equip one another to be doing the work of the kingdom of God, the mission of Jesus. So the question this morning is how do we do what we do here better so that we are better equipped to do what God is calling us to do out there? How do we live life as disciples of Jesus together? Because I think that we sometimes are making a similar mistake to the mistake that the Pharisees in the day of Jesus were making, and they were so ingrained in this mistaken way of thinking that they thought that Jesus was being really weird by not doing what they did. The Pharisees believed that the best way to live your life was to remove yourself from anyone who was a bad person and to surround yourself just with people who were a good influence on you, by which they meant other Pharisees, other religious people. Uh, And they were saying to Jesus, well, what are you doing? You're going and spending time with these bad people. Sinners, they call them. And Jesus says, well, of course I am, because they need me. So, I've done some reading. I want to read to you a longish quote. I'm trying to avoid doing this, but it's just a really good one. This is a theologian by the name of Michael Green, who passed away a few years ago now. He was an expert in evangelism and apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, it's just being able to answer people's hard questions when they say, how can you believe in God if X, Y, Z? Anyway, he wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew, and he wrote about this passage in great detail. And I read it during the week, Uh, not this week, a few weeks ago. And he says this, Mark touches Christian's on a sensitive spot with this story of Jesus going into table fellowship with Levi and his friends. Christians do, after all, have a duty to uphold moral standards derived from their belief in God through Jesus. We do. 
It is natural, therefore, that the church defends such standards and that the members embody them in their lifestyle. This sets clear boundaries to the extent to which we can mix easily with those whose lifestyles are very different from ours. We quickly feel not only uneasy, but actually compromised. What is more, we sense that the atmosphere in such settings may be detrimental to our spiritual growth. Yet, if that becomes our dominant attitude, then we find ourselves increasingly cut off, especially in social rather than work contexts, from those who are different from us in not believing. The church develops an entire subculture of its own as in, and is increasingly insulated from the world. To that extent, its witness and missionary effectiveness are diminished. The example of Jesus is again our model. Listen to this. He was sustained by his prayers to the Father and in his fellowship with his disciples, despite their inadequacy. From these and his deep knowledge of the Scriptures... He drew sustenance to go into the most unlikely company and not only survive, but actually win others to faith within it. We are called neither recklessly to risk ourselves nor timidly to secure ourselves, but to find the point of life-giving tension between the two. In that way, our worship and fellowship have more point and our witness more depth. Because that's, that's the clincher. We are called neither recklessly to risk ourselves nor timidly to secure ourselves, but to find the point of life-giving tension between the two. In that way, our worship and fellowship have more point and our witness more depth. It's great, isn't it? He somehow condenses down exactly what it is that we're trying to do, exactly who it is that we're trying to be, and exactly how it is that we might achieve this goal. And there's a challenge in it for everyone, whoever you are. If you are a church-going Christian who rarely interacts with non-Christians, at least socially, who lives almost entirely in what you might call the church bubble, then you might find that you have very few opportunities to make the kind of ripple effect that we've been talking about for the last five weeks. Maybe you've been sitting here listening to these sermons on this topic and wondering in what sort of context you might possibly be able to actually put this stuff into practice. How are you going to live it out? If you've been asking yourself that question the last few weeks, then you might need to consider making a few adjustments to your lifestyle, to your weekly rhythms, to find new places that you're not currently in where you can be in relationship and connection with those who don't yet know Jesus personally. But then also, if you're a Christian who rarely attends church, I'm glad you're here today, this is a good one for you, Someone who's not in a connect group and doesn't have time for gathering with Christians at Christian-type events, doing a, a short course or a fundraiser or whatever's going on in the life of the church. If you're kind of just a solo Christian and barely at church and barely learning or growing or being equipped, if you're not in fellowship 
with fellow believers and doing life together with them and being supported by them, then maybe you're going to find yourself ill-equipped for the mission field of your life, what Michael Green calls reckless and ineffective. I think that was probably a big part of Matt's mistake, or my mistake in advising him the way I did, and not properly support him in the church, not properly supporting and equipping him. So, what are my top tips? Got to have some top tips. What should we do? What sort of things should we focus on doing together as God's people? How do we provide and support, provide the support and equipping to each other and the encouragement that we need? How can we make the most of the precious time that we have together to equip us and encourage us for the time we spend in the world? What sort of practices can equip us and help us? I've got a few up on the screen there. We'll go through them one at a time. The first one is share and pray whenever you meet together. Make this a habit. When you gather together with your fellow Christians in a social setting or if you gather to kind of work together in some ministry on some team or especially if you gather together in a connect group every week. If you want to get in a connect group, come talk to me. Um, That's an awesome context for you to pray for each other. When someone says, how can I pray for you this week? And you start saying, well, you know, my cat's sick and I've got a job interview and Add to that list someone that you know you're going to see this week who doesn't know Jesus, that you can pray together for that person. Pray for an opportunity to share with that person. Uh, My second top tip is go together. I think that was another issue that Matt had. He, He really just needed one friend with him in that space, one person to do the mission with. When Jesus sent his disciples out on a mission, he sent them out two by two, not one by one. Uh, I know I've got a group of mates who aren't Christians, uh, but there is, it's a mixed group. I'm not the only Christian in that space. Uh, And I think especially my friend Ben, um, who is amazing at bringing up in a natural, easy, normal way stuff to do with God or the Bible or church that's relevant to the conversation we're in. Uh, He's better at it than the pastor in the group. And he does it in genuine and and thought-provoking ways. And then if he brings something up, I can kind of chime in and say, oh, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, or I read a book about that, or something like that. And, you know, someone asks a question that he doesn't feel confident answering, I can answer it. Or if I don't feel confident answering it, he can answer it. Or we can give different answers to the same question because we disagree with, on particular issues of theology ourselves. And our other mates can see that our theology, that our thinking is, is complex and thought out, that we're not just brainwashed into thinking some kind of wishful thinking, simplistic faith. Sometimes he even asks me, if he sees me after a Sunday, did you preach on Sunday? And I'll say, yeah. And he'll say, what do you preach on? And I'll talk about my sermon. And now the mates are kind of listening in on that conversation. 
And it's not done, I wouldn't even really call it evangelism as such. Like it's not done in a kind of pointed, obvious, strategic way. It just sort of happens naturally because Ben's got no filter and he just brings this stuff up. But it's awesome, the opportunities that come from being there together in that context. And actually that that kind of brings me to number three. I think that a lot of the time in my years of being a Christian, when I hear a sermon or a sermon series about sharing Jesus with people who don't yet know Jesus, and we use this word evangelism to talk about it, and we we have our top tips and we have our strategies, and it can get a bit over-engineered and a bit kind of like a marketing campaign for Jesus. And I think it needs to be more than that. I think that we need to go into these spaces and and treat it as a a spiritual exercise, not a marketing exercise. To go in there realising that God is going before us. To go in there realising that we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to give us inspiration to know when to say something and when to keep our mouths shut. We can go in purposefully, putting ourselves in this space with genuine love for the people that we meet there. And of course, there's four other top tips there. Devoted prayer, practical blessing, demonstrable difference, and gospel fluency. If you don't know what those four things are, jump on the YouTube or the podcast. They were four sermons the last four weeks. These are the things that we can do in these spaces. Uh, And it's worth reflecting on that and sort of going, well, when I go into this space where I'm meeting with people who don't know Jesus, these are the things that I can be seeking to do there in my purposeful proximity. I think, actually, that we need purposeful proximity in the church as well as purposeful proximity in the world. When we're here, we need to encourage each other, we need to equip each other, we need to pray for each other, we need to commit to praying for each other during the week when we're not together. We need to go together and work together on this stuff. We need to make this a central purpose for why we gather together in these sorts of contexts. You see, we are not here to hide away from the world out there like the Pharisees did. We're not here just to avoid being influenced by the world. We are here on purpose. We're here to be prepared to go out there. So, if you find yourself in the church a lot and not in the world a great deal then the encouragement is find a space to get out into. And that can be hard. I know if you work in a church, you don't even have work colleagues. But I actually think even if you work uh, in a secular organisation, it can be hard in the workplace to do some of these 
I know there was a significant season in my life uh, where I was working in ministry and all of my friends were in church. And I basically had no non-Christian friends. I had some non-Christian acquaintances, but, you know, barely. And nowadays, I do actually have a whole bunch of non-Christian friends. Some of those friends have been friends for a long, long time. One particular group I think of uh, is a very nerdy group of guys who play tabletop role-playing. You know, we six guys in their 30s and 40s getting together and, and pretending to fly spaceships or kill dragons or fight monsters. It's, it's very nerdy, and that's okay. But I love doing it, and I love these guys, and they love me, and we've got this deep, long-term, decade-long connection. And this is one of the contexts where I get to practice what I preach, that I can stand up here and say, this is complicated, it can be hard, uh, it can have some pitfalls, but it's really important to be in these spaces, to be challenged by them, to be forced to be bold uh, in speaking out about what I believe, but also to be wise, to be sensitive, to be respectful. And of course, to not view these friendships simply as a, a, a place where I work on this project of gaining conversions. Would I still be friends with these guys after 15 years uh, if my only reason for being there was this kind of mercenary idea that I was just there to convert them? I, I don't think so. There needs to be genuine love and connection. Loving them for who they are, for who God has made them to be. Doing life with all of its ups and downs. Caring for them and being cared for by them. With that depth and that genuineness. And yet, having said that, that doesn't mean that I'm not praying for them. It doesn't mean that I'm not looking for opportunities to talk about God in that space, to bless them in God's name. Do I always get it right? No. Do I miss opportunities? Yes, a lot. Do I get complacent? Do I forget to pray? Do I rest on my laurels? Totally. Pray for me. Please pray for me. And I'll pray for you too. And we'll get better. Let's encourage each other. Let's work together on this for each other and for each other's friends and family and those neighbours, that we would make time for them, that we wouldn't get so swallowed up in making time for church that we miss the opportunity to spread the love of Jesus to those who don't yet know him. Can I pray now? Let's do that. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray for opportunities. We pray that you would lead us into spaces where we can be purposeful uh, in drawing near to those who don't yet know you. And Lord, for those of us who do have those places and are in those spaces throughout the week, uh, Lord, I do pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, that we will be attentive to you and to what you're doing. Lord, that we would be led by you and guided by you. Lord, I pray that uh, we would find uh, a brother or a sister to go into that space with us in prayer, uh, maybe even to go into that space with us physically, uh, to be present together in your name. And 
Lord, I pray that uh, you would be leading our friends, our neighbours to know your love for them, uh, to know your grace for them. Lord, that they would see and be amazed uh, at the beauty of your grace. Lord, that we would not uh, be in that space as a marketing strategy. Uh, Lord, that we would be in that space out of genuine love. Lord, we pray uh, that, yeah, you would be adding daily uh, to those who are being saved. Lord, that we would see people come to know you and come to a, a saving knowledge of you, an experience of your grace. Uh, Lord, we pray there'd be a bunch more baptisms. Uh, Lord, that we would see you at work and your kingdom coming and your will being done earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.com dot info